Welcome to New Piney Grove Baptist Church, where one of our core values is Christian education. Let's tune in to this week's message. Perhaps many of you have heard the term streetwise. It's defined in the urban dictionary as those who know how to handle themselves in the hood. It is a by any means necessary mentality that comes from experience. But according to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, streetwise is possessing skills and attitude necessary to survive in a difficult, a dangerous situation. It's a self-preservation approach based on observation. Now, both of these definitions are from a worldly perspective. I mean, after all, it's human nature to react to stimuli of experience and observation. Let let me see if I can make it a little plainer for you. When when we experience certain things, whether it's pleasant or unpleasant, we learn lessons from that. When we observe or when we look at things that are good or bad, we learn from those things. And we respond accordingly to what we learn. You don't have to burn yourself in fire but one time. You learn a lesson from that. And and, and we have adopted this idea and called this type of mentality wisdom. And oftentimes, it's shame to say that we bring this street mentality based on observation and experience right into our Christian faith and right into the church. In other words, we, we act a certain stimuli or experience or observation. But when we've been born again, that means a total reorientation of body, mind, and soul. And this allows us to have a new access to a new type of wisdom that the Bible defines as godly wisdom. The author of our text, James, did not see godless wisdom and some who claim to be saved by grace. What he saw was individuals who were streetwise within the Christian environment. The writer James, who is believed to be the half-brother of Jesus. After his conversion, James became the leader of the first Christian church. He was well respected for his wisdom and advice that he gave, which ensured the healthy growth of a diverse Christian fellowship. So when James found out or discovered about a negative trend in the church, he felt compelled to address it. And how he addressed it is in the letter or the epistle that bears his name, James. What James wrote about is not popular and caused controversy that even exists today. 
because he addresses the issue of faith and works. Many, in fact, believe that James' message of works contradicts Paul's letter of grace. However, this perceived contradiction can be reconciled if we understand one simple fact. James was not writing about saving faith. But I want you to get this. He was writing about the role that faith plays in the life of every believer. Break it down for me, Pastor. James believed that saving faith was also a transforming faith. He believed that that transformation would show up in the lifestyle of every true believer. One thing I want you really to grasp in the book of James, there's an underlying issue that can be often missed if you're not in tune to really do deep study and get some historical background. There was an issue that still resides in the church today. Under the leadership of James, Apostle Paul, and Peter, the Christian church began to grow rapidly. Many Gentiles, but mostly Jews, had expressed their faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they wanted to learn more. Learning the word of God became a top priority. So gifted teachers were highly respected. They were greatly esteemed and they were specially honored. So a lot of people began to, to seek after these great teachers that God had gifted. As a result, some who professed to be Christian became envious of all the admiration and accolades that these teachers were receiving. I want you really to keep this thought right here in mind about these, these individuals who are seeking teachers' position. They began to seek position, even go to school, so they get position in one of those churches. But their motives were not pure. They did not do it for the right reason. Their purpose was to advance their own agenda and see to their well-being. Paul had addressed this himself when he said some people are preaching for money. These self-made teachers began to abuse their power and their position. They began to misuse people. They professed themselves to be wiser than the other teachers who were teaching and would often cut their methods and their doctrine down in order to make themselves look good. They claimed that we have superior wisdom above those other people. Here's the point. These self-made teachers were more concerned about the title and the prestige of the position than they were about the duties and the responsibility of the position. I think I need to say that again. They were more concerned about the title of wearing a badge, I'm just going to be real, 
and the prestige, the honor sitting in special places than they were about their duties and responsibility. Their message should have been proclaiming the truth about Jesus Christ, but their message was fueled by envy and self-centeredness. This is what the issue that James dealt with in his letter. But he dealt with it in a unique and methodical way. He approached the issue from a faith that transformed point of view in chapter 1 and 2 before he dealt with the real issue in chapter 3. And I want you to kind of be patient as we go through this. Everything that we're going to be looking at in chapter 1 and 2 is based on getting to chapter 3 where he can address the real issue. Y'all with me? You see, saving faith, transformation will be validated in the life of the believer. Maybe I need to kind of get it to where maybe some of you that's been in church for a minute or two will understand. How many of y'all remember a song, something that went like, if you love the Lord, you ought to show some signs? Well, this is what James is saying. If you are saved by grace, not by works, but if you are saved by grace, there still ought to be some signs. So let's look at just a couple of these signs. I don't want to bore you and go through everything in chapter 1 and 2, but there's a couple of things that I think you need to understand how and why James wrote some of the things that are really quite familiar scriptures that's often misquoted. James started his letter by addressing those who've been dispersed. During the time of persecution, they began to go everywhere. So the first sign that he's going to deal with is that when we face adversity, there ought to be some sign. In other words, the hell you go through, you will react to it differently than those people who go going through the same hell in the world. There ought to be some different. There ought to be some sign. James, chapter 1. Look with me at verse 2. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your what? Faith produces endurance. So in other words, when you face in trials, tribulation, or hell, there's a purpose behind it. It's not the fact that that's what's before you. It's how you react to what's before you. And notice what he says in verse 4. And let endurance have its perfect results. you got to go through it. If you don't go through what God is trying to put before you as a trial, then you ain't going to get the results that God designed it for. Notice what it says, so that you may be perfect and complete. So if you ain't facing this trial, and again, I know it's hard, considering it joy, you ain't going to be perfect or you ain't going to be complete until you go through it. Then he says, lacking nothing. And then he throws a little something in there that's going to come in chapter 3, and it's very subtle, but them teachers understood it. 
But if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Oh, Lord, I don't know why I'm going through this. Give me some wisdom. First thing he's going to say is I'm sovereign. And Dr. Dunbar was saying this morning, it's all you need to know. I'm sovereign. I'm God. That's enough wisdom for me to go on. Because he's sovereign. He has all power. He has all control. Whoever I'm going through, he can stop it when he wants to. But if he does not, he's going to give me the grace to go through it because there's something he's working in me to get out of me. So the first validation of saving faith is how we deal with trials. Temptation. If you, if you go on down the scripture and say, did any man say he's tempted of God? You know, uh, then that's not right because God can't tempt you. It says you're drawn away by your own lust. So a lot of times God just wants you to look at you. I, you know, how often is somebody, everybody is a victim. Everything that happened to me is somebody else's fault. And God is saying, look in the mirror. Speaking of that, the next thing that validates it that I want to go is when we hear the word of God. Just like today. When you hear the word of God in church and Bible study, look what it says in verse 22 of chapter 1. But prove yourself doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and do and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in the mirror for once he looks at himself and goes away, he immediately forgets what kind of person he is. If some doctor tell you that your ailment is because you are eating a certain type of food, and he tells you you need to stop, then don't complain because the ailment don't go away. Because you ain't did what you were supposed to do. You got to listen to the word of God and then do what the word of God say. Okay, I got problems with it. Well, then you go back to the other verse where it says, any man like wisdom, you ask of God. I'm going to tell you, confession of your shortcoming does wonders for your health. We always say things like, I ain't there yet. And I understand you ain't there yet. Don't tell me, tell God. Confess the fact that I am wrong. Some of us, and this is, this is what the Spirit is telling me, some of us right now need to forgive certain people, and we don't want to forgive, even though God says, if you don't forgive, I ain't forgiving you. And you still wonder why you didn't see a situation. Just tell God, God, I'm willing to go through where I'm going through because I ain't willing to forgive this person. In chapter 2, James gives an example of none 
transforming faith. Non-transforming faith. Verse 14 in chapter 2 reads like this. What use is it, my brother, if someone says he has faith but has no words? Can that faith save him? Now, actually, in the original language, it implied, can that kind of faith save him? And then he gives an, a brother, uh, an example. Now, I want y'all to really think about this and how you relate to other brothers and sisters. And this is talking about brothers and sisters in the Lord. If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of food, and one of you say to them, go in peace, be warm. Let me stop right there. I want you to know it's something that we, we miss in this. It never said that the brother or sister acts. It says if there's one among you, in other words, something you have observed, you know somebody's in need. We want to excuse ourselves a lot of times. We know somebody is in need, but because they didn't ask it, we quote scripture too. You have not because we ask none. That government, if you know somebody don't have a coat, and you know it's 25 below zero outside, and you got three coats, give them one. They ain't got to ask. You know somebody hungry. Maybe they got four or five kids and, and they, 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 the food stamp thing came in. They ain't got to ask you. You see the kids. I don't know who that's for, but I'm going to move on. If a brother or sister without clothing in need of daily food and one, and you say to them, go in peace, be warm, be fear, and yet do not give them what is necessary for the body. What use is that? Even so, that kind of faith, if it has no word, is dead. Being by itself. Dan James confronts the issue. Remember I told you about the teachers. Of the self-appointed teacher in chapter 3. Now, the heart of it is going to be later on, but notice what he says in verse 1, chapter 3. Let not many of you become teachers. Can you stop right there for a minute? It did not say, don't many of you respond to the call of teaching. It says, let many of you not become teachers. In other words, you stepping in this position. My brother, knowing that such will incur a stricter judgment, he warns them, first of all, of the responsibility of those who profess to be called, and those I said profess, and gifted to teach. But in verse 2, James don't tell them that what comes out of their mouth are words that's already in their heart. Let not many of you become teachers. Now the King James correctly uses the translation as masters. But we need to understand what this word actually means. It refers to masters, teachers, 
and it's equivalent to somebody who would have a master's or divinity degree or a PhD. He is saying higher education is going to bring about a higher degree adjustment. They were going to be held accountable for every lesson they taught that came out of their mouths. Then verse 2, talk about, for if we all stumble, no, not if, for we all stumble in many ways. All of us mess up. King James used the word offend for stumble because the word means to fail. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, notice it said, not what he does, but if he don't fail in what he says, he's a perfect man. It's talking about his speech mouth. He's able to bridle the whole body. In other words, if you can keep your mouth shut, you can control all these other things. They're talking about men, son, for you single men, you go out there, you see something that looks good to your eye, and then you say in your mouth, mm-mm, she sure look good. You just messed up. <laughs> you speak it out of your mouth, you can't control your body. Different subject. This word offend or stumble deals with an attitude of speech. Two types. Sarcasm and contempt. Now, those of you who don't know what sarcasm means, it means smart mouth. Y'all know some people that got a smart, they're just a smart addict. And the word contempt means to always cut somebody else down. You just don't like them and you just speak it out of your mouth. So he said, if you can learn to control that, but the bottom line is in your heart. That's why it's coming out of your mouth. When I was growing up, Harry, they would tell us about cursing, a young man. And my grandmama said, boy, if I hear that word come out your mouth, I'm going to wash your mouth with soap. Some of you young people probably heard that. Some of you old people, I know you said, I'm going to wash your mouth out with soap. And they would literally do that. They would take some octagon or wherever and put it in your mouth, and you would have to chew it up. You know what? It may have been unpleasant, but it wasn't effective. Because the word didn't come from your mouth, the word came out your heart. James continued in verse 6, chapter 3. And the tongue is a fire. The very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and is set on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. Here we see the first hint of demonic influence among these teachers. Hear me now. Fire turns whatever fuses it into ashes. Whatever fuses the fire, it turns into ashes. You put some wood, 
and coal, it will definitely cause that fire to burn hotter and longer and brighter. But that fuel will eventually be turned to ashes. Now, here's my point. We were talking about talking. If somebody brings you a piece of gossip, it's going to turn to ashes. And in order to keep the fire going, you're going to want more gossip. So here's what happened. Somebody tell you a bit of, I got to share something with you. And when they get it, you tell somebody else, and you say, oh, girl. And then it dies. So you got to add a little bit more to it. And the next person to get it, got to add a little bit more to it. So by the time they get back to you, you don't even know what the story was. And if you have the spirit of gossip, you will notice you can't tell the story to someone else the way it was told to you. You got to add to it. James used the words iniquity. Defile. And hell to show that this thing has a Satanic connection. You see, the devil is the father of lies. And when you are a chronic liar, you are his offspring. Verse 9, talking about the tongue. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God, from the same mouth, both blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be. The teachers, who was teaching the word of God, who got people to get up out of their seats and said, preach, teach, but the same one that turned around and cut their brothers down. James said, this ought not to be, and then he dropped the hammer. Not only should these things not be, they cannot be. You don't have transforming faith if you do that. Notice what he says in verse 11. Does a fountain send out from the same opening, both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brother, produce olives? Or a vine produce fig? Nor can salt water produce fresh? For those of you like M and Harry that try to, and Fred that try to plant, they can tell you, if you plant collards, you're going to get peas. It's impossible. It ain't going to happen. The seed produce what it is. James emphatically states that it is impossible. So it stands the reason that the wisdom that these 
these teachers were saying that they had and bragging about it based on their action, their wisdom was fools. It was not of God. Then he gets to the real issue. Here's the heart of the message. Among, who among you is wise and understanding? Verse 13. Let, let him show it by his good behavior, his deed, and gentleness of wisdom. But, but, if you have bitter jealousy, self-ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but it's earthly, natural, and demonic. He identifies three so-called wisdom based on observation and experience. That's not of God. Earthly. That's man-made. And it's subject to boundaries and limitation. Natural. Some, 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 uh, versions say uns- unspiritual. It's sensual. It's motivated by the fleshly appetite and demonic, which is deception and the source of lies. These self-appointed teachers would proudly boast of their wisdom, but they were more eager to defeat their opponent than to teach the word of God. Verse 16 says, for where there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there is disorder and evil thing. Disorder that results from instability, chaos, comes from demonic wisdom. But godly wisdom will bear fruit and bring order. Verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy. And the seed, those few, is righteousness, is sown in peace by those who make peace. That's what saving faith that transform will do. What's the point of the message? Because of the success and growth of the church, the devil used a spirit of envy in an attempt to stop the church progress and its effectiveness. My brothers and sisters, the devil has not changed. He has a game plan. And as I thought about this, I thought about him as a master chess player. He don't change his game plan. He just used new pawns. Now, I don't know a whole bunch about chess, but for those that do, you will get this. Satan makes pawns think they're knights, rook, and bishop. Now, I had to look some of this up because I don't play chess. Pawn can only move one way. One square at a time. Now rook can move anywhere. Bishop got his own. They got, they got different capabilities. 
Satan wants you to think you can do things that you can't do. This message is not just talking about master teachers. Talking about all those who are in church regardless of your position or status. And the Apostle Paul once said, we need to examine ourselves and see that we're in the faith. These teachers were not concerned about the things of God. They just wanted to be looked at as special. What about you? Are you seeking position or desiring position even though you don't see it? Because it's popular? Or do you really want godly wisdom? God is calling for us to exhibit a transformed life. And as you stand with me, The question is going to be today, have your life been transformed? And next, do you want your life transformed? See, some of us are content or happy with the way things are because, and here's a prayer of mine, we can get so caught up on having man to speak well of us. We forget about God speaking well of us. And I confess, it, it feels good to have y'all pat me on the back and say, you did a good job, Pastor, good sermon. It, it really feels good. And it's easy to get caught up in, that's what I want. So I'll tell them my message to make sure that when you leave here, you'll say a good word about me. That's my reward, you. But there's a greater reward that I need to see. And that's when my father said, well done. Because what I say may not please you. And I'm not desiring to please you anymore. I want to please God. Now, if you want to please him, you got to be in his body. So before we have an altar call, well, I'm more going to come and lead us in this sinner's prayer. If you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, or maybe you thought you had, but you really didn't mean it in your heart, you can do so right now. I'd like the pastor said, if you have not received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, now is the time to do so. As we read this prayer, make it your own personal prayer. Thanks for listening. We pray that you have been blessed by the message. Visit us on the web at npgbc.org for contact information, service times, or directions to our place of worship.